and over. What is? Whether we decide who's introing well, or not. Are you introing? It's still your podcast. Yep. But if you can't, yeah, I'll, inter- I'll intro you. So what the music will come on. Okay. And then. Welcome back. You, <laughs> you don't have to say welcome back. That's the best bit. That's the best <laughs> <laughs> That's the best bit. Tell me right. when. Tell me when. Well, when? It, well, when are you ready? Mm. You ready? No, I just have some Mandarin. Are you ready now? Mm. Is this all staying in the podcast? No, oh, maybe you can edit. You think? Here we go. Welcome to the Flea Factory Podcast, where we explore how to put together your life, your passions, your skills, and your responsibilities. Don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Yeah. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back. This is Kate Sharp taking over the podcast because I am interviewing Richard. Welcome. Oh. Hello, Katrina. Hello. Thanks for doing this. No worries. Thanks for getting back in the podcast game. Not a problem. It's been fun. Yeah. We've all been waiting for more. We understand sometimes you're not in the mood, but we're good, it's good to have you back in the, <laughs> in the mood. Sure. Yes. How are you? I'm I'm well, thank you. This is a little uh, short notice and random. <laughs> well, thanks you, for having me. I love your office. Good view. Thanks. Here. I feel like you just hijacked my office and said the words... I'm interviewing you for a podcast, Pretty and that much. was about eight minutes ago. So nothing like uh, preparation. No, we'll just wing it. If it doesn't work, we'll do a fancy one again. Okay, good. We'll just wing it. So, yes, <clears throat> I think I think our listening audience would like to know a little bit more about you. And you're an interesting person. You ask good questions. <laughs> Thank you. And you seem to bring it's out the nicest thing you've ever said oh, to me. I can put on a show. Um, we we want to hear more about how you got to where you are. Okay. So I know that one of the questions that you ask your listen your guests is, <laughs> "What did you want to be when you grew up?" So I can do. we start there? Yep, we can start there. So I am in high school. I'm, I think I've briefly mentioned this before. Um, in high school, I wanted to be an optometrist. And I actually did uh, year 10 work experience mm. as an optometrist. Um, but like many of my guests, I think what I thought being an optometrist was <laughs> was a little bit different to what it was. I thought it was just spraying people in the eye with high-pressure air every day and having a giggle. But what it ends up being is sitting in a dark room with no sunlight, seeing a million people and trying to sell them glasses. Yeah, so, but that's part of it too, the fashion thing. They sure. Great. That wasn't really why I wanted to get into it. It was purely for the high-pressure air in the eye. Revenge. It was for the giggles more than anything else. Okay. So that's what I wanted to be. Uh, what else? <laughs> did you want to do what your dad did or did you... I probably wanted to be a muso. Mm. (laughs) Having said that, I didn't particularly want to perform live. That was never a thing. Uh, You've known me a very long time. So shy. (laughs) 
Yes, there was a long time there where uh, you couldn't have got me to play music or sing in front of a group of people for anything. Mm. So I kind of reluctantly went into that, I guess. And, yeah, ironically, it became a bit more of a bigger part of who I was later on. But as far as what did I want to do, I don't think that was – I don't think that was that was it. You didn't give it much thought, or you didn't you? Um, I never really entertained. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it, I was particularly good enough at it to like do it as a career, and that didn't bother me. Like, um, I liked, I liked music and audio. I liked audio for a long time. So I've liked, I liked um, sound desks and mixing and sound desks and recording and studios. Loved, I loved all of that, and so. Uh, we'll get there, I guess, but we recorded an album in mm. 1999 and I kind of geeked out on the process rather than the product. Yeah. And that's probably why we still have 400 CDs sitting in our shed from 1999. I was going to do a giveaway later. Oh, <laughs> please don't. Um, it was the process was interesting to me. And so what was I? I was 20. You, did it in some, you recorded in someone's lounge room. And yeah, but it was like all the technology was new. So it was the first lot of digital yeah. recording desks. And so we paid a guy to take a week off work. It was his sound desk and we couldn't afford one because it was all this new technology. We couldn't afford to go to a studio. And um, we paid him the equivalent of a week's wage for his job. So he took a week off without pay. We paid him what he would have paid earned work where he worked and we asked him to use his own desk <laughs> to record our album um so the process i loved so we sat in a lounge room and recorded an you album for a week that? like you were involved in the yeah because he was kind of he was working it out how to okay. use it and we were there with him and so the whole thing was fascinating for me that that process and then we ended up getting it mastered at a proper studio so I remember the first time i went into a a mastering studio and there was a lady there who used to work for Sony and she was there mastering and I watched her and I thought, oh, this is this is kind of cool. So technology was probably the bigger thing. I love the tech. I just love – and anyone who knows me knows I love the tech, right? And wasn't there a season where you got mini discs and – I've had everything first, right? I, I, I thought mini discs were the future. They did have good quality. Uh, they were incredible, right? But I, I could – so I've had all sorts of – I've had the tech. If it's been – out, I've had it. I had my stylus touch phone Motorola before everybody. Like I, I, I love it. Mm. I love the stuff, and not just for the sake of the stuff, but what the stuff can do. Promise of what it can make, what it yeah. can unlock, how it can help you create or ship something. Like so, it's not. I don't know. I'm feeling that that's still a really general. Yeah, it's still general, really general. Yeah. Because ultimately, the tech itself does nothing unless you've got to have an idea. Yeah, you've got to you got to have something to bring to the tech to turn it into something. So unless we'd written some songs, that the tech might have been interesting, but it was irrelevant. And the same today. So I, I love my tech, and I've got my tech to produce the podcast. But unless I make the podcast, yeah, just a bunch of tech on a desk. So, um, same with my guitars, which hang on the wall, which are lovely. But ultimately, unless you play them. Yes, there are maybe a little bit of art, but that's not really what they were designed for. Mm. They were designed to be played. So, can we? Is it fair yeah. to acknowledge that you have talent enough to to do something good with it all? Because I can't just pick up your guitars and 
um, record a CD that anyone's going to buy. Well, no one yeah. bought my CD, so I don't know. That's you probably not a costs. good example. You covered, well, covered costs. costs. I'm not sure that was a win. Um, look, it's probably a valid. That's not something I feel comfortable saying, but it's probably. Or something. does it make your choice easier? Like it doesn't narrow anything down if you're only good at one thing. No, sure. So I will say I'm. Like you said, that's very general, mm. and the answer to that is yes, because I am a generalist. Mm. That's kind of I'm. I often say I'm. I'm competent at a wide variety of things, just enough to be dangerous in all of them probably. Um, I d- and I, I don't dabble though. I'm not a dabbler. So I don't – I'm not a generalist in the sense that I like to do bits. If I'm going to do something, I want to know, like I'll dive headlong into understanding something. But I understand thing a lot of things. Like I I like knowing that. So I like learning. I don't Talk like studying, but I like process. learning. How do you know that you're going to be good enough at something by the end of it? Like do you research? Do you practice? Do you – are you – like do you learn on the go? Do you make mistakes? How do you uh, – all, all of those things. Mm. Um, but you ultimately got to play in them for a while. You've got to just kind of try some stuff. And um, and But I don't try and perfect things to try and be the best at them. That's not my goal. Like – and one of our sons, that's kind of more important to him. Like he came home from school the other day and said, ah, the golf and PE are um, awful. And I said, well, you can't be good at everything. And he said, uh, yes, you can. And um, that's not – like I get that hard. motivation, but yeah. that's not my motivation. My motivation is um, I, I enjoy being stimulated. I enjoy kind of input. I enjoy new knowledge, new things. I enjoy kind of uh, sort of going after stuff, the quest. I enjoy the thinking. So – so if I'm starting to learn a new thing, what I'm trying to do is try and find something out of it that I might be able to attach to something else. It's very hard to explain. So it's a bit like I'm so big picture when I think about things that I'm trying to collect. Networking. Yeah, it's like that. Like I'm trying to collect information from a wide variety of areas and I'm trying to connect things that some other people may never have connected. Does Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, I was thinking that you, you're not afraid of failure – you don't have to perfect something. It has to be more about the process than the product. If yeah. you're not going to pursue something to excellence, you're just going to be good enough at it. But it's about the learning. But you won't do something that bores you for the no, sake of it. I'm not very good at doing the the mundane. And no, it's the, still got to engage me. There's got to be something about it that I which, – which, do you know like anyone else all, like that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> none of us are. Uh, um, none of us earn a very good living, and we're all very mm. uh, edgy and do a bunch of different things. But we're fun, um, and so sorry. I know that will make you sigh because <laughs> being married to me, I'm sure, is not um, all that much fun all the time. Um, and there are many days I've said I wish I was an accountant, and people say to me, "No, you don't." And I go, "No, no. What well, you need to understand, I." I wish I was happy being an accountant is what I mean when I say that. I wish – and I'm not knocking people who are accountants. I'm just saying I wish I had a thing that I wanted to do and the I wrestle. committed my life to yeah. it and I grew in it and I perfected it and I got better at it and I could progress and – but it, there was a thing like – Is that your I, aim? No, that I don't actually want that. I'm saying I wish I did because I feel like it would be better so you're to not- know my thing rather than being so general. You're not planning for your life to peak at some point. Like you're no. not 
collecting all these things up and refining them to one. I'm sorry, no. Maybe you, you were hoping that that was the outcome? No, I'm not stupid. <laughs> <And> I'm clarifying. <laughs> yes, good clarification. Yeah. Uh, I'm not looking for the one thing. Right. I'm trying to work out how to do uh, the variety of things in a way that is sustainable and healthy. So maybe we'll come back to this, but I want you to think about how you answer the question, what do you do? If you're never going so to... So you hate that question and I hate it too. I don't know how to answer it, but... When people ask you what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not an accountant or... And, <laughs> and when people ask me, I go, oh, you, you shouldn't have asked that. <laughs> creative fluff that puts them off their scent, like, <laughs> or... All right. Well, you know, like... Um, so is that the outcome of today's podcast? We might no. work out how to answer what I, I do. I don't know. Good luck. Have we got a, this, how we long got a is this podcast going to be? <laughs> we should have some callers. You want yeah. to ring some friends yeah. and see if they can add? Yeah. We could do that. We could do that. That would be fun. Uh, well, no, but we will get back to that. So in school, let's get back to school. Yep. You didn't, you didn't pick subjects for a... A degree, you didn't? Um, no, I didn't pick subjects for a degree. I So year 12, I did uh, I did woodwork, so I built a guitar. I did three-unit design and technology because I, um, I loved technical drawing. Like that was my – like to be honest, if there's, any, if there's ever something I wish I'd have – been maybe had a crack at better at or oh. no had a crack at as a career it might be architecture um because i loved i love the technical aspect and i love the creativity and i love the and this for me there's so much there's so much and so many different disciplines involved mm. in creating a structure that for me, there's kind of infinite, and there's like and technology, there's laws. building materials, there's kind of yeah. there's there's environmental stuff. There's there's it feels like there's a lot of stuff you could you could learn yeah. to help inform you create something. So that's very much hindsight. That was never on the table. So I did all that. I kind of got through maths. Kind of got through science. Kind of, what else? Was that I didn't do anything else. That was really that was year twelve. Was woodwork and three unit design technology. Oh, and economics. Oh yeah. Um, which I'm again fascinated, but not really a. I'm not an investor or a fine. Like I'm not a. That, that's, and I still love that. I love that kind of understanding it, but yeah. I don't dabble and play in that the world. Science of it, the sociology um, of it. So okay, I. Because I remember you when we were dating. You said I remember the day when the U.S. dollar. Hit 80 cents? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 80 cents of the dollar. I'm at, well, because we used to get the financial review in year 12. We used to feel so, like, posh. We'd we'd have a, like, weekly uh, subscription and we used to, on a Wednesday or whatever morning, walk in economics and our copy of the financial review was there. <laughs> I was like, con yourself that you like with some kind of – I didn't – like, a knife was fascinating, but I'd, I've, never, I've never invested or dabbled in the stock market. I've never – I don't want to leverage anything. I actually don't really believe in debt. I don't. I, lo- I hate that stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to like leverage my life. I, I'm being indebted. I don't want that stuff. Mm. But it's fascinating to me, and probably because um, people are fascinating to me. But at times, I know this is probably a weakness of mine. Um, 
people are fascinating to me in the same way that new technology is fascinating to me. It's like a, a study. Yeah, I'm just fascinated by it. At times, um, I have not probably been a soft relational place for people to be. Like I don't, there's at times in my life when I'm just tired of tea, I just don't really want to deal with people. It's not like I'm like in love with the people, yeah. but people fascinate me. The choices they make, why they do what they do, where they get their beliefs and structures and values from, and therefore what they spend their money on, how the, that stuff, politics interests me to the point where I don't want to be involved in it. Um, and I don't want to take a side, but I want to observe it because I think it's a fascinating. So you get impatient. Um, I, though, yes, because you can you can often see a better way or a more sensible approach or logic or something that other, yeah. if you're f- too far from removed, you can't help the people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So one of the disciplines, one of the hardest things, oh, we're jumping all over the place, but yeah. I am, I, coaching is important to me, but like coaching people, but coaching is a discipline for me because I actually want to just, I want to just tell people <laughs> a really good way forward. But the discipline of coaching is that I sit there and go, Wait. what does that mean to you? How are you going to discover the answer? And at times that, so it's slow. a discipline. Yeah. It's a discipline to slow down because my brain works extremely fast. Does that mean that you've observed how much more powerful an experience can be when somebody has it for themselves? Oh, like, oh, 100%. You know that you will rob them of that process if you jump in with an answer. <laughs> yes, and so I hold myself to a different standard to others. I have only learned what I've learned because I've been through it. And people have been patient with me and I've failed and fallen over and worked out what's better. Yet at times, and I know I have the ability to do this sometimes as a dad, is I want to rush people through their process. Neon light it. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, just can we get to the bit where you understand what to do? Mm. And it's like, no, we, that didn't. that's not how I learned it. Yeah. So how the heck would that be how someone else is going to learn it? I find that very hard to watch though. I find I find people being in pain and confused and stuck and struggling. I find that very hard to watch. And it's is it because I care about the people? Yes, absolutely it is. But it's also I just don't like this I don't like that state of struggle and pain. And if I think I can help them, you'd rather rip them or out. give them a piece of information that might help them. Mm. Help themselves get out of it. I'd I'd love to give it. So the tightrope that you walk when as a coach to yeah. navigate. Really, really hard for me. When to throw out the boy and when to Yeah. So when are you teaching and mentoring and when are you coaching? Because they're very different. Mm. So um I enjoy speaking, teaching and mentoring, mm. but I think that there's power in coaching. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because I think you can teach a bunch of people a lot of things and they can walk out the door and 10 minutes later it's gone. Yeah. I think the lasting change in people's lives is when you help them discover it for themselves. Yeah. But you have to be patient. You have to be willing to walk with people long term. Understand the difference. Yeah. And Which, and there's a quote I've got to remember. I'm, I'm updating some of my coaching training and it says um, their growth is more important than your wisdom. Right. That's a great quote. I was just like, uh 
We watch Darn a lot it. of like, Bondi Rescue, and I've only just started to notice that they don't always go and rescue everyone. <laughs> they say, "Yeah, you can stand if you move one meter to the left, or right. get back in the flags before you too out of your depth, or like they a bit more information." Yeah, yeah, and it's often only the people that don't speak English or they've still got their thongs on in the water that yeah. they think, "No, this is not going to be enough. It, I have to go time. and get yeah, them." Yeah. Or panic. Well, there was something I don't watch Bondi Rescue. I let you watch it because it, that irritates me, right? I'm like, people need to just read the signs and not swim when they're not supposed True. to swim. That, that's the kind of level I just go, like, I'd be very bad lifesaver. I'd be like, you're on your own. You should have not <laughs> swimming. There's your fault. Like, because I'm a bit, I'm a guy that believes in like natural consequences. Like, I'm like, you do this, this happens. Don't whinge about it. It's just factual. Yeah. Like, you also acknowledge that people go through life. Without noticing the things, a they lot need of to a notice. lot of things, yeah, uh, and and so this COVID stuff where people are being told to, people don't even read signs about how far to walk away from it. Like I, people are a bit oblivious, right? Yeah. Anyway, let me get back to Bondi Rescue. Um, and there was this. I walked past, and it intrigued me enough that I sat down to watch this bit. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a bunch of lifesavers that took. They had a program they started. And they took a bunch of young people, kids. Oh, yeah. And they intentionally put them in a rip. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, I'm in. I'm fascinated now, right? Because that's me. I'm I'm that guy. Right? I'm like, this, this is good. This this is the learning moment. And they and some people would freak out at the concept, but they put pe- these kids in a rip. And what they taught them was to just float on their back while they were in the rip and let the rip take them out. And then they went out and the rip took them out and to the side. And if you know anything about rips, what happens is eventually the rip will dump you on a sandbank. And there was a point where they're floating, they're floating, they're floating. And then all of a sudden the lifeguard said, stand up. And the kid went, what? He said, stand up. And he stopped floating and he stood right up, right out, like way far from the beach. Yeah. Where you couldn't see that sandbank. But he knew it and he had the knowledge that life could have the knowledge that there was a sandbank there. And he knew what the rip would do. Yeah. And so there's – now I could, they could have stood the kids on the bank and explained that whole process to them. Wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah. But walking with – floating with them, which is what they did, yeah. talking to them the whole time, letting them experience and have questions. And every time they tried to struggle, they said, no, no, just, just let it be. Tired, yeah. And they stood up and then were on the sandbank. And then they walked to shore out of the rip. Yeah. That's a powerful Yeah. That's a powerful picture yeah. to me. Um, but I at times, um, because I see that big picture, yeah, and I know that situation, I have to fight my urge to stand on the bank and just explain. I I I I have to say, come on, let's Let's go into the rip. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you some advice and some 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 coaching, but ultimately you've got to work that out. And I think uh, I understand the um, uh, the paradox there between my impatience with other people, yet my need I've needed a lot of time myself to learn yeah. lots of things, and so I can come off a bit impatient mm. at a lot. <laughs> Wow. Um, 
and and it's not yeah it's well intentioned it's because i want the other person to be in a great place i want that for them desperately it's not because i want to be right it's that i want them to be okay and and but sometimes it gets lost in communication i think Let's talk about the people influences. Sorry, all that came from you saying, did you take subjects at school to go to uni? That was, I don't know how we look, got there. Look, but we've learnt this by now that there are long answers oh, to good stop. questions. I'm not sure I'm enjoying this. <laughs> we go back to the people. Okay. Um, you are saying that you have learnt yourself. Is that through neglect or just being really determined to walk and make your own mistakes? Have you had people coach you through that or have you had people a little too um, – what's the word? <laughs> You're phrasing your questions. <laughs> um, Cautious. I understand what you're asking me. Um, well, it's all of those, yeah. I imagine. Um, I grew up being – pretty anxious and shy and reserved and um, probably a little scared of the world and, and what what was out there. And um, since then kind of tried to – Scared or aware? Uh, like did it oh, stop you from doing things? That's a very good question. Or were you just knowledgeable about threats? That's a very good question. Um, oh, thank you. You should go pro. I listen um, to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> you, yeah, you do. Not mine. Others. Um, um, so is it cautiously aware or is it fearful? There's two kinds of fear. There's there's. I've been listening to COVID podcasts and they talk about <laughs> the fear that uh, keeps you at home and you're panicked and you're really anxious. Mm. And then there's the healthy fear where you wash your hands and you don't just go hug everybody. You you read the rules, right. you pay attention, you're aware okay. of it, but you Okay, so I'm going to say the second it. kind for a large portion of my life and that first cower indoors type <laughs> for the a handful of the f- last few years. The last, few the last few years, but because of trauma and, a, and burnout. Right. And then, so that's a very good distinction. That's a very uh, helpful question for me. And how do you go from one um, to the other and back again? Well, I know how I went from, I know I went from, I know how I went from the healthy one to the unhealthy one, and that was. You're also saying that as a kid, you lived in the unhealthy option, the, the anxious um, option. Oh no, I'm sorry. Well, I'm no, I'm. You've asked me the question, and yeah. maybe I'm redefining that. So no, I, maybe I didn't. Is what I think. What you're revealing is, um, maybe I didn't. Maybe I let I, I lived in the aware, cautiously aware reading side. I was pretty self-aware. I read. I'm an only child, and I was around adults a lot, and I was very aware of the world and how things worked and kind of... Did it keep you from living your best life? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No. No, I don't think so. I don't think so because if we go back to kind of after school, I, I never... I think if I did, I would have made some very cautious, scary kind of based 
fear-based decisions. And I didn't, even at that early stage. So We got married at 20. (laughs) But that wasn't a fear-based decision. (laughs) That wasn't limited. (laughs) Um, We did get married at 20. But. But if I was fearful, I wouldn't have made that. I wouldn't have made that decision. There was plenty of reasons why that would have been a terrible idea and hard and too hard and too, you know. And we would have put things off. And, um, and you know, you've always said that one of the things that marks my life has been the things that I've said no to, rather the things that I've said yes to. And um, I, I went and yeah. So I don't. I don't think I'm. No, I think maybe maybe that's very helpful because I think what the last few years have been, I kind of then assumed was the whole lens the whole time of my life. Like that was the theme. But actually I don't think it was. I think it probably just crept in over the last sort of Are you happy to talk about years. the like the trigger the turn the the trauma trigger, like or the Yeah. The click point that, that like took me from one to the other. Yeah, what what do you tell yourself took away that caution and turned it to like an in and more inhibited response. Um, I perceived that I fell from a very high height. As in, you made it to the top, and then I was. Um. Uh, so I often talk about there are times in my life I've said I don't want to be seen. I want I want to influence and I want to lead, but the being seen bit, the public kind of, so the like a stage director as opposed to a lead character. Right. So I often say that this is my cop out, and people challenge me on this recently. I say I'd rather be James Taylor. Yeah. Right. Then. Oh, I don't know. Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson. Right. Yeah. Now that's not to say that Michael Jackson didn't write incredible. Of course he did. It was an amazing, but. And people More say, public. lots of people know James Taylor. You do know that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But in my head, James Taylor's like the influence he's had on the music industry he's over his entire life him. is amazing. Yeah. And so many people don't know that, yeah. but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I, I want to be the guy that's influential in, in a positive way, like as, as, as value added, but doesn't necessarily, no one really talks about him. Like I, I'm not. I'm not bothered about that. So I feel a bit like I was very high – I was profile in the sense that I was seen. I wasn't famous or high profile. I was just seen, right, yeah. by a lot of people in a position. Yeah, I was the CEO of an organisation. I had There was lots of people on board this thing we were doing. And I've often said the – and my kids constantly remind me of this – there is no worse thing in the world than falling over in public. Mm-hmm. Like they laughed at me again this morning, remembering, and I have fallen over in public, ironically, a number of times. And my children yes, have I? And my yes, you have. <laughs> but um, but and my children, but they don't remind you when you fall over. But it's funny when I fall over, right? It's like this hilarious. Remember when that happened, Dad? And they all go into riotous laughter. You're probably better natured about celebrating with them. Well, I, I am. <laughs> maybe, but I've learnt that um, I f- feel like. So, if you want a trigger point, mm. it's probably a few. I feel like I fell over in public. 
I am. I couldn't cope. I I emotionally kind of fritzed out, crumbled, couldn't hold the weight. Mm. I feel like I was very good at my job and people around me loved what I was doing and we were doing great things and so it wasn't that I wasn't capable or competent. I actually was in a – it was a lot of great things but it all came at a cost. And now whether that was just me not having the skills or the support or me having bad understandings of things or – there's a lot of things to unpack in there that we probably don't need to go into all that but I felt a bit like a fellow in public. The problem is then when you've fallen over in public – you at some point have to work out how you feel about being seen in public again. Right. And you worry that there's people going, there's that guy that fell over in public. Um, why is he back out here again? That's yeah. so... So that's maybe where the fear comes from, that yeah. you don't trust Well, you can't. So people's response to you or their judgment. Right, so I got, there was a question asked the other day in the coaching group that I'm part of and they said... Um, are you, do you find being vulnerable easier or taking feedback? Mm. Well, that's – well, being vulnerable, I'll take. No. Because <laughs> yeah. I can't control people's feedback. Right. I don't know what they're going to say to me. And you so the fear choose. of what people are thinking, because they've observed me, say, fall over before, I don't know how they've interpreted that. Right. The, the irony is I know the vast majority of people are going, oh, you fell over. I've fallen over too. I hope he gets back up again because we enjoyed it when he was up. And if I, I don't think people are going, people he's an idiot. said that to you at the time. Sh- sure. And a lot of people said it to me since. Or you're going to fall over if you don't. Sure. And people have said, if you, you know, you you have the ability to fall over again if you're not putting good things yeah. in place and you're not thinking about all of that stuff. And so it's no wonder you fell, your shoes were undone. Or like, that's right. If there were circumstantial fault. things yeah. that were, you know, that's right. So I get all that. Like yeah. cognitively, <laughs> but still in the still, back of my head, yeah. there's a process where you have to, you just learn to walk again. Right. Like literally you, you learn, you lose confidence in your ability to walk again. Right. And so, and then you start convincing yourself things like, I've always been like this, which I think your question is asked me, well, have you? Yeah. And the answer probably is, not probably for the vast majority of my life, I haven't been like that at all. Yeah. Um, but I have come to a point where I think I've convinced myself over over time. And so I'm starting to be seen – I'm starting to push myself and try and walk. And, and of course, the feedback from people is, we're so glad you, you're back out here doing your thing, and which, which kind of, of course, it is. But that still, I'm waiting for the, what are you doing? Like, yeah. So you tell yourself that you – could always walk. It was just one fall. Yeah. What do you What do you look back, recognizing that you will see, you'll know again if you see it. Like, what is it that you? What knowledge have you gained from that that you can prevent? Like, like how you, will I notice it's yeah, coming? Yeah. Like, do again? you put the railings down the stairs? Do you? Tie your shoelace. What What are the things that you for preventative? Um, so, the couple of things I think you, um, I think I, let's say you, mm-hmm. um, I have decided I won't, I won't bear the weight of certain things. So, if I'm working in a certain place or I'm wanting to be a part of a certain thing, 
Um, I, I care about people immensely, but I really don't care about structures as much. And I think structurally is what helped my last job. There was so much going on to keep the thing going. It wasn't the people. Like, yes, the people had to live inside the structure and we all – we all alien calms, but it, yeah, of course, you don't but want it's it to not be your responsibility. Like I've got good relationships with nearly every single person from that. Like it's not, it wasn't people. It was the environment of the structure and the way things were and how Management. what I was being asked to do and the lack of resources, especially yeah. a lack of resources. So you become tired and under resourced, and really that's the definition of burnout. Like on a psychological definition, but is like um, can continually operating at an intensely high level while experiencing extremely low resources. And yeah. so you just – it's not even that I failed. It's that I ran out of resources. Well, if, you, you know, Emotionally, physically, yeah. um, financially, time. Yeah. I, ran, I just literally ran out of resources yeah. to pull it off. So is that a failure of mine? Um, well – Maybe part of that is, so back to your question, you have to say, no, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not, that cost I'm not willing to pay. So saying, I love the people, but I'm not going to fight for the thing because the thing actually needs big change. So I'm not, I I don't have it in me to do that. Now, if more people want to join that together, maybe we together can, but I can't be the person who brings all the energy. I've said that to you for, you know. You recognise the limits. Yes, you start saying, okay, I've given a significant amount. Things don't seem to be, all right, well, I will. So, again, it's refining the things you say no to probably, again, more, back to that point, and saying it's good, but no. Um, so, yeah, that, and then just making sure you're um, – um, making sure your values personally 100% align with with what is being what you're working on I think for me is, is really important and so um, for me right now I'm trying to create something new that completely embodies what I value because um, investing in something you don't value costs more or well, it does cost absolutely yeah. Because there's a rub, right? And you constantly, yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't really know where to go from there. I'm just thinking (laughs) we're still really not clarifying what you do, how you got here. We haven't asked me a question about what I do. Okay. Okay. We haven't even left school yet. We're still in year 12 and we're like 40 minutes into this podcast, which you said this will be quick. (laughs) So, <laughs> school didn't direct you down a path. No. Didn't I, sort of bring up any loves other than tech and music perhaps and no teachers that you aspired to so, be like. Well, well, I had um, – well, yeah, so – No, my all my teachers that were a little um, – a little anti-establishment were probably my favourites. Okay. <laughs> so the ones who said, we're not doing that today, we're doing someone else. <laughs> they were, I'm like, yeah, because like and that's there's something more important. And that's different 17-year-old boy. Yeah, probably not. But I, well, yeah, maybe because, you know, I think there were plenty of seven-year-olds who just want to stick to the program and get through yeah, it. And 
and they, they're there because they want to get an outcome. I was like, I enjoyed school. So don't like, school wasn't a horrible place for me. No. Um, I didn't You didn't, didn't overcapitalise yourself. You didn't stress and no. strain. No. Like you didn't no. burn out on the top mass and have to drop no. out and deal with there the was no, no, There was no kind of sense of obligation. Uh, value or identity in any of that for me. It was just like I didn't gate my value from it. There was no identity in yeah. I'm in top mass. There's none of that. No family pressure to – No. No. <laughs> that was a quick note. No, there wasn't. Well, the reality was no, nobody in my family has ever had a tertiary, a tertiary mm. higher education. So I don't come from a family of doctors with an expert. I came from a reality that they want me to learn and they want me to – now what they wanted me to do, I've got no idea. I don't think we've ever really talked about it. I They probably wouldn't have picked what I ended up doing but just because they wouldn't have known about it. But I know your nan has grieved – some of your choices. Well, sure. She's she's wanted. Well, she's a wheeler dealer from way back, and she so. um, she's Italian and uh, very financially capable, and that's a value of hers. And she comes from a time where you could yeah you you need you being secure in those ways is imp- yeah, super important yeah. because it's easier um, to make a way to by. Making or think, you know, like yeah, it was a different time. I said, I think it's it, it generally generationally there's yeah, but but she like and she bangs on at me about this all the time, and I fob her off, and she just says, she says your brain, she says you're so you're so smart, you should do something, and I feel like I keep saying, well, I, what do you mean? Like yeah. what she means is I should use the way I think in my brain to earn lots and lots and lots of money, right. and then. That's because that's what you should use. That's success. Yeah, and that's fine. I've no issue with her saying that to me. Um, and then she says to me, "You should be in politics." And I said, "No chance. Like it's just, yeah, no. That's that's the that's the ultimate in public. And if you fall over stuff, that's for me is like there's no way I'm interested in that. It's also very um, structural and very. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'd blow the thing up. Yeah. I'd like I'd last about ten minutes before saying something or asking a question that no one wants to answer. So yeah, I there tend, are the I tend stone throwers, but they don't last very long. They're not popular. Sure, it's yeah, it's a popular vote kind of business. Sure, which I'm. Well, Billy Connolly says, "Don't vote; you just encourage them." It's <laughs> my favorite Billy Connolly quote. That and talking about falling over in public. Billy Connolly's other one is a man fell in the street, and another man said. Did you fall? And he said, "No, I'm trying to break a bar of chocolate my back pocket." So, uh, so maybe that's what I was doing. I was um, maybe when I fell, I was trying to break a bar of chocolate my back pocket. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, where was I going to go with that before the Billy Connolly story? Normally, Sorry. you do it with an accent, so I'm a bit. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Ah, so much. What were we saying before that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Really, what were we saying? So school didn't help me make a decision is what you were asking oh, me before yeah. and it didn't shape my outcome. Look, I got into college, I got into university, I got into a business degree. So you thought about following an interest? No, in year 12 they said you should apply to go to uni and I said okay and they and so I applied for a business degree. I didn't want, like it wasn't, well, I didn't end up doing the business degree anyway so. How far down this track do you think you started considering, contemplating 
acknowledging your personality type? Um, so I've worked – so I reckon for 15 years I've been aware of personality profiling, personality types, differences in management styles – in group dynamics. Uh, group dynamics, small group dynamics, process roles, how we operate in a group, how we operate in teams, how we can how we can grow teams healthily, how, like fifteen years of that. In application, probably last five. I think therein lies the problem. I think we know, or maybe seven or eight, but not the whole time. But I've been in that world of team health, team growth situational leadership helping people move like that all works for me I, I i get that stuff right and i can see in a group very quickly what it has what it needs what it lacks what it's good at and also know which question to ask to help it move forward but for you personally did you yeah. as an as a 16 in my year leadership? old think mm, i'm really driven by this or I'm really motivated by this or I'm really not motivated. I run around bumping into things trying to work it out. Okay. So for somebody listening to this who's in that – 18-year-old space? No, not even. Just maybe they've lost their COVID job or their whatevering and they're in that bumping walls. How do you – what would – without quick fixing – what do you know about yourself that is helping you eliminate or guide your future choices? Um, what I love is important. Like what energizes me is important. What I enjoy is important. And I used to for a very long time have this weird thought that Unless I hated what I did, right. it wasn't work. So you had to get up dreading it. I had to go, oh. Drudge through it. Yep. Whinge. Yep. This is hard. People are annoying me. Why do I have to go here? Why do I have to fly there? Which I know for you at that point in my career, that was a turning point, right? Where all of a sudden it changed from me flying somewhere to invest and speak into and grow. And right. it changed into problem solving and fixing and I have to go and I don't really want to go yeah I'm going to limit the problem in three weeks if I don't go and that was I think a point you know especially with a young family where you rightfully said sacrifice well we it costs us when you go you get literally nothing out of it yeah personally and really the thing you're fixing never really gets fully resolved no one's winning. And I think in hindsight, for me, you got it in the moment. For me in hindsight, I was like, yeah, okay. So I was spending emotional, relational energy I didn't have. And um, and so what have I learned about my – I don't think I ever – for a long time I didn't apply my personality to that. Um, but it's about permission. It's about me saying it's okay for me to be wired the way I am. Yeah. Rather than saying um, – I Take need a bit longer to find the thing that you Well, do. I spend a lot of time focusing on my weaknesses. And I think there's one leadership stream, which is 
yes, you're good at these five things, but work out the things you're not good at and improve them. Like bring everything up. Right. Like balance everything out. And I never, you know, recently been spending more times in the strength-based kind of area of trying to understand leadership and realising that, you know, actually the world's better off and I'm better off if I just play really hard to my strengths. Like I just be really, really good at the things I'm good at. And there are and be fully aware and open and vulnerable enough to be honest about the fact that I'm not good at certain things. But realize there are other people who are really good at those things. And so let's encourage them to do those, encourage me to do mine. Because I think a deficiency weakness mindset probably played a big part for me because I felt like I should be able to do everything. Like I should be able. Okay, so your weaknesses that were tearing you down. Well, I spent my whole life trying to hide. I had a weakness. Yeah. So it's like I don't want anybody. I don't want my national board to know that I'm not very good at these five things. Instead of saying, "Guys, get someone in." I'm not very good at these five things, but you know what? I'm killer at these ten things. I think we would be best served if I just really attacked these 10 things and we got someone to help me with these five things. Instead of being that honest and and assured of myself, instead I said, sure, I'll take all 15 and then let the five like crush me and feeling like I'm failing. Being able to identify what those things are. Like if you've never done them before, maybe you didn't know they weren't. Yeah, but I'm a generalist, right? So I can hack most stuff. That's right. But there's the danger, right? If I was actually very much a specialist, I would be very clear that I couldn't do things. But the reality is I can... I can yeah, write and run a spreadsheet. Time. I can run a national budget. I can do HR. Yeah. I do know my way around database management. Yeah. I do not – they're all red lights. I don't want to do them. Right. And so my statement when I when I finished in that role was just because I can doesn't mean I should. Yeah. I've said that a lot since. That's more of a reminder to me. Yeah. I'm not lecturing that to anybody. But I, I can do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, They're not red – they're red lights for me. They are not – they're not done as well as someone who's really good at them yeah. and they're not life-giving yeah. to me. But there's a bunch of stuff over here that I'm really good at that other people aren't. Right. So I'm best served and they're best served if I actually focus on those things. So it comes with maturity. And I was young, right? Yeah. Like I was, I was early, mid-30s yeah. as the CEO of a, like with, you know, and – you only learn that stuff by trying it. Yeah. Now, I think now um, I'd be very clear about what I am going to do and what I'm not going to do. And if people don't want to agree to that, <laughs> I'll walk away from the table. Like, I'm totally okay with that. I'm not. Do you know what I mean? This is, remember that comes with turning 40 and being having grey hair. I don't know. Would you say that giving permission to yourself to do something you enjoy is personality-centric for you or is that across the board? Can it be rephrased to give yourself permission to, I don't know, balance your life or can you – or to rest or to not fix all the problems? Or like is there a transferable give yourself yeah. permission? Um I think it, I think there's an inherent feeling that that's it's a selfish decision to do to just go after what you love like that like like inherently there's something that's not okay about 
I'm asking you, is that for you or for everyone? I think I'm starting to believe it might be more for more than just me. Like more people I talk to, that's a real battle. Like fulfilling their responsibilities and expectations and still doing something they love is something that many people find very hard to juggle. So I've met many people who say, I just can't even entertain doing that. I just have to keep doing the thing I hate because I just I have to just keep there's an expectation. And I'm not knocking that. Like those 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 things are real. Yeah. But ultimately I I can't so let's go back to me. I can't afford that cost again. Yeah. Like it hurt too much. Yeah. I can't afford right now to just do whatever again. In an unhe- I can't in an unhealthy way. I don't have it in me to do that again. You're still bruised. I just – yeah, but I think the bruises are there for a reason. They're there to remind you not to do it again. I don't think I don't think I just need to wait longer to heal over so I can inflict that pain on myself again. I think they're there to say, hey, this, is, this, this bruise is going to be here with you to remind you yeah. not to do that again. Now – the problem with trying to pursue something you love is if you love something that doesn't necessarily have a structure or a process or an existing thing around it, is that's a very unquantifiable, unknown, how do we make this work, which my brain loves because my brain loves to kind of put pieces together and start new things and innovate. And But I also know that's a hard journey for the family that I lead to walk with me through it. And that's very true and real. But I have to balance that with the fact that I just, I can't, I don't have it in me to go and do the other. So um, I don't know if that answered your question. But Okay, go back to the dad who took on the CEO role. If you had known yeah. what would cripple you, yep. maybe we've got people listening who are feeling tugged at and used to love the job that they're doing. Yeah. So if you say I love, I do, do what you love, they'll right? say I do but I'm not dealing okay. so well with it. Like so let me how do you how do you break up a job role or how do you how do you work out okay where your weaknesses are and either like are there other ways like if if um, if you're okay. running for president and you know you can do that really well, but campaigning isn't something that you have to do that. Look, this, I'm not saying you only do a job that you just love every second. They don't. Do they don't exist. So out? it's hard work. Even doing something you love and you're passionate about yeah. is hard work. You may have days when you don't want to. You go. may have months. Yeah. You and you know, plenty of people who are chasing after the life they want, who are running their own business, who it's just damn hard. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not. But it's still there's a reason for the pain because they're going after something that yeah. they, so don't hear me say I now only want to do stuff no that's fun. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. No. I'm just saying I don't want to compromise anymore. I can't yeah. I can't spend certain things. So um sorry, what was your initial bit of yeah. I had something for your original video question. If you're oh, in okay, a job. no, sorry, that's right. So so let me also clarify, I loved what I did. Yeah, that's right. So you're I saying loved that it. the travel you loved and then you... No, but I loved everything about it. I loved the organisation. Yeah. I loved the job. I loved the CEO role because it really worked for who I was. I loved... But it was the nature of how it was all put together in the environment and the time and the that stuff. that And 
certain amount of work and roles. When I finished in that job, I said, if you remember, I'm a really good doctor, but I ended up running the hospital. I didn't want the CEO job when I was asked to take it, if you remember. The wise thing to do would have been to stand my ground on that. Things you say no to. Right. But I loved the organisation. Yeah. I loved the people and I loved what we could achieve so much. I did love it. I loved it. Yeah. And my most effective period had been the two years prior to that in a kind of just underneath executive management role, bringing my creativity and innovation and leadership skills and influence and energy and momentum and vision I'd flourished for two years up until that point. But I was I was fearful somebody else going into that role. We we had a momentum going that I thought we, we can't afford for this. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm in, I'm up. And everybody was super excited. Yeah. And then we we smashed some goals in the next yeah. two years. Things were going really, like really super well. Like things were going really yeah. well when I was in the role. But what I what happened was I started to hide this group of things that I wasn't good at and I focused on them and they drained me yeah. and I stopped doing the things I was good at because this was taking it out of me. And a more mature me would have been able to say, I'll do it but – these things need to also be sorted. And so if you I think it's been aware it's that kind of drift into doing certain things. If if the if all of a sudden the stuff you it's not that you don't enjoy, that's not the right. If the things that are draining you outweigh out are dramatically outweighing the opportunities to work in areas, even if you love the whole thing. They're outweighing the stuff that recharges you that you feel like you naturally have an affinity for. Yeah. When that balance gets out of whack, even if you're working on the project that you love in an organisation that you love, that that for me is a that's a moment. Right. Um, uh, and that's probably mine now. That that's one of the things I'm aware of. Was it, or do you think there was anything you could have done to salvage? Like, could you have tapped into the resource that, like, if you'd stopped covering up? I think. Well, ironically, I think that my national board would have been more than willing to hear from me that I wasn't good at these five things and I was worried about them and I was because in the end, when I I kind of cracked, they were amazing. Like, yeah. they were literally phenomenal. Yeah. And they desperately wanted me to give me as much time to be okay, and they wanted me back. Yeah. So, I'd, so maybe I had people can work out what resources are available to them and say and, and just being willing to be vulnerable enough. Yeah. To, and I hadn't really gone on that journey of vulnerability and courage, and I hadn't gone on that no. in leadership. I I uh, pushed out in the spotlight, and yeah, I I tried to live up to the expectation of what I assumed that kind of leadership role needed, mm. rather than being me. I think I would be me now. Being me is saying this stuff here needs doing, but I'm not. I'm not your guy. There's an assuredness, no confidence in that. They probably just didn't have. So, um, if you got offered that job again today, would you take it? 
Um, that kind of job. No, that job. Uh, no, I wouldn't take that job. But that, but that organisation has changed. So, so that's why I say that kind of job, maybe, but not, not under the circumstances, and not not in the new. That's I've moved on. I'm in a different place. Yeah. I'm not. It's not negative. I'm not. So negative not about that, that organization. You want to I'm just saying. The steps and I'm not going back into it. it. No, no, no. I've moved, but that kind of a role where I get the opportunity to do these things that I love. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd consider that with the very clear stipulations that what I've learnt. So, what of the roles that you flourished in? Do you think you are picking up again in different ways? To say um, what you do now, sure. like what what is it that you do? Um, I'm a communicator, mm-hmm. like I know that, and I, I can articulate uh, concepts and uh, paradigms and understandings of things in ways that people understand it. And I used to think that was just everybody could do that. I'm starting to realise that's not an everybody thing, right? So um, I have to start listening to the, um, to the reality that um, – when people say the way you explain that is everything. So I had a, a guy in a meeting the other week, a couple of months ago, actually, I was saying something and he said, can we just stop for a second? When you explain things, like they make sense to me. Mm. What, Like, I don't know how you do that, but you just, you said that and I'm just, I don't need a minute mm. to kind of process that. Mm. So I understand that that's something I can do. I also understand I can deliver pretty hard truths and concepts in a way that don't make you cry. They yeah. make you go, oh, my gosh, that is true. Because I, I, I can lead people through a place of deconstruction in a, in a healthy way. And um, so you I then want to help clearly, people. But you also read, um, you I, read people. I read people. I read rooms. I read you groups, I read leadership teams well, up. I read organisations well now yeah. because of what the skills I've had. I can, I am, I want for a better term, my bullshit meter is really finely tuned. Um, but my, I am, I can see it in the air. Yeah. I go, hang on. The elephants. This and this and this and this are all connected. None of you see it. But, and the way to get around it is not to go in the direction you're going. We have to go this way. If you want to take, and so I'm starting maybe for the first time in my life to realize not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that I thought I was good at, I thought everybody could do for a very long time. Mm-hmm. There was no sense of inherent value in what I brought. So again, I don't get any of those skills without going through what I went through. Yeah. So hear me say, I don't regret having gone through it. Would I ever pick it again? Hell no, <laughs> I wouldn't. Neither would you, right? But I'm different and better for it. And I know a whole lot of stuff that I didn't know, right? So I couldn't do those things. So I know that I'm good with people. I'm good with equipping and challenging. And um, that's my that's my major thing. And I know those are the things that I – and I want to fight for – I want to fight for health. I want to fight for sustainability in individuals and groups yeah. and organisations. Um, and I want to speak truth into things. Um, I want to speak truth into um, into places. 
Okay, so would you say then that these are still general skills that you have? (laughs) No, because I probably would have said when I thought everybody could do them, I would assume they're general skills. I probably, they're probably... How do you measure a general... Is a general skill something that you generally know a little bit about, enough about, or is it something that every, like, generally everybody knows? Um, Well, I think a general skill is one you observe people using. (laughs) Like, okay, so I don't see a lot. It's more common. Right. I don't see a lot of people doing some of the things that I can do. Okay, because I thought general might have been like less than expert. Like, you don't. I'm not an expert. You don't know it. You don't. You haven't sort of like got a thesis in it or whatever. But you. Yeah. A bit and you learn. I've a met a lot of people who've written theses and have PhDs, and they're just not very good. And I, th- honestly, like. Uh, I think, they you know, going back to Charles Handy, which is my – he's my guy, right? One of your guys. One of my guys. He, but I love him. I love the way he thinks, right? And and um, the reality is the world we're living in, you – if I'm good mm. at what I do and effective and I produce fruit, that's what counts. And I've met a lot of consultants and a lot of people who have – all sorts of qualifications who just produce the same old stuff that really doesn't change a whole lot of things in people's lives. Mm. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not saying that people shouldn't work with those, but if you want to, knock yourself out. But I'm not that guy. Mm. And what I know I need to do next is I need to find the people, the tribe, the people who want what I want to help them with. Mm. And I don't want to work with the other people. I'm done trying to convince people that doing this real genuine deep hard work and asking the right questions and making sure you're healthy and your people are healthy and your organisations actually do what they say they want to do, that you are – do you know what – if you don't want to do that work, that's totally fine. But there are people who want to do that work. And I know my next step is finding those people. And that's a change in mindset for me because – I've often said to people, but nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be asked the questions. I, and I have other people say to me, I know about a million people who want to hear what you have to say. So I'm having to realise that, that there are people, out of 7 billion people in the world, there are some people who actually want to hear what I have right. to say. They want me to help them. They want me to speak into their lives, their organisations, their leadership right. roles the way they put their lives together, they actually want it. And okay. so I want to find I want to and find a place I can do how awesome is it that we live in a time where you can Google search those things and find right. what you need? Like you don't, but I, I think back to <laughs> books that I've read on Pioneer Times and I yeah. think, yes, like people did invent print mills or things that um, – you know, print presses that have become useful right. throughout the world and become famous and, you know. But most people just do things for themselves. Like they yeah. grind their flour, make their bread, preserve their fruit, plough their just fields. Do the same old thing. Yeah. yeah, feed their kids, do the same old things. But had like that would be fine for me. I would be fine with that. I would. Think of ways to do. Th- I wouldn't need to invent anything of benefit to anybody else. I might, you know, whatever. But 
I think if you had been in a time like that where things were less accessible and the finding those people meant actually knocking on doors or uprooting yep. yourself or and finding one in a thousand that might go, yeah, could you help me? Do well, this better, yeah. like yeah, well, that's right. There, there. You can put them on a Zoom call or a town hall or a whatever, yeah. and they're all there at your fingertips. That's right. And there are these. That's already happening, right? So you know, I spend a Monday night running a training, yeah, and I have twenty people on there. I do it with a, an, another guy, another organisation. We have twenty people from around Australia. On a Tuesday night, we have thirty-one people from around Australia. And on a Wednesday morning, I have twenty people from all over the world yeah. who are in another call and uh, uh, equipping, coaching, training session. Like, the, but this has been my life. Like, we're part of a global organization. I think we don't take for granted. Yeah, I've been doing this stuff for like yeah. fifteen years. Like, um, I feel like everyone's just discovered Zoom in the last three weeks. Like, my life has been bigger than my backyard and my postcode for a very long time. Yeah, and I don't run a business where I'm trying my my local community are the. That's mm. not the group. There may be people around here and in Adelaide. It may be, but that's not the that's yeah. not the pond, right? So when I talk about trying to catch fish in my other, you know, the any fish kind of that's the kind. Of, well, is there anybody out there? No. If I actually tighten up and I'm clear about what kind of people I am willing and to work with and want to work with and what I want to talk about, mm. I believe because the pond is bigger, it's it's a global opportunity. Those people are out there. Yeah. Um, but I could convince myself they don't exist in Adelaide or there's only a handful of them and you couldn't, you know, make a thing out of that. Or, yeah. or there might be heaps here. I don't know. We're trying to work that out. Yeah. Um, the same principles apply yeah. though, right? Like you're making wine, you've still got to find somebody who wants to sell it on exactly or buy it or taste right. it. And there's plenty of people who don't like certain wine. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. There are a heap of people who like that wine. Yeah. Like it's it's – so and, the school yeah. leavers or the the readjusters or the recently school backed, leavers, yep. yeah. So they they've got to apply those principles. They've got to say, okay, do I have something? Who are the people? Well, the principle is the principle is we're living in a changing world of work. Yeah. That's the reality. Again, that's a Charles Handy statement. He's right. I think the future is going to belong to critical, creative thinkers mm. who are ready to adapt and diversify what they do. they The chances of you working for something for 40 years and getting a gold watch are done. Yeah. So you need to posture yourself around thinking. So if you're going, if you're thinking of going to uni to do a degree, go to learn to think, not don't go you're fi- to fail learn. You're going to fail every assignment. Right. So then maybe don't go. Um, but you, the whole point of higher education must be to help you learn how to critically think for yourself. It can't be just to rote learn what is in a book or what other people have done. Right. You need to take all of that information in. That's helpful to shape you. You stand on the shoulders of the work of other people 100%. But ultimately, if you're not engaged in how you think, this is what I believe, and and – you're not thinking independently for yourself. You're not just taking in what somebody else is telling you to believe and you're not actually holding it up to see if what's in there um, and you're not then willing to step into the world in that way. You know, it's gonna, that's going to be tough. Um, now, 
I just think the world's changing and I think it's changing faster than we're giving it credit for. And I think we're possibly trying to prepare people for a world that isn't going to exist all that much longer. Um, I think we um, we prepare people to work in the old kind of world of work. And um, those things just don't exist anymore. And that scares the living daylights out of some people. Can I say that? I know there's some people are going to hear that and go, what? Um, so I, besides I hairdressers, that's like my thing that's come out of COVID that people still <laughs> Desperately need. want hairdressers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the thing, right? Having a COVID haircut There's going to be things that are always going to be wanted, right. right? And so pick one of them, sure. That or. Or be ready to be ready to. You know, change and learn and and upskill and 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 be ready for a variety of outcomes. The anti-establishment um, in me is saying, can we start that in schools? Yeah, well, that's a whole podcast. Like they haven't had the the life experience to shatter them yeah. in their vulnerability. Like they haven't; they're, they're not exposed. They're yeah, still, they still yeah. learn. They still have that stance sure. of. Okay, I'll give it a go. I'll do this. I'll try this. Yeah. I'll absorb this. I'll take your word for it. Right. Why can't like? Well, I agree with you, and we—that's a whole podcast around education and the world of work and the changing world. And I, our friend Sarah wants to join us for that conversation, which I think we need to have in the very soon. But that's super um, scary. Like you're saying, as a parent, you don't want to see your kids try and fail and and take things slowly and learn the hard way. Like how would te- teachers aren't. No, wired to yep. approach children in that way. Sure. They protect and they guide and they care and they're all great qualities. Really incredible things. But that's an almighty upheaval. Right. But I think that, again, I, don't, I think every educator I know is doing it for the right reasons. Their problems are in the structure of the system in which they're doing it. Right. And so it's not, it's not education. It's not educators. It's not... It's it's the structure in which yeah. is actually frustrating even for the educators. And so... Um, if we agree that the future is unknown and we're not prepared for it, yeah. but education system's role is to do that... Sure. Is that a motivate? Like, is that a different approach to say, you're the people that we need? Yeah. Yeah. Or do I'm we reluctant just say, to launch into this conversation with you right now because I know this could be a four-hour podcast. I'm saying, um, I'm saying, keep your keep your kindling dry for the that next convo because I think okay. that's a massive. Okay. That is a so, really important well, conversation. This, okay, but the people. And this is about me. This podcast. Okay. How do we get okay. onto educational okay. Okay. systems? Okay. Okay. I'm going to be selfish box. right now. I'm off my box. You got on your little horse <laughs> and had a bit of a ride around I'm off there. My back again. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I know you well enough that you are genuinely passionate about this, well, and I'm not trying to stop you talking about. It. I'm trying to say it's about let's approach. just let's completely go there. It's at about some point. it's about rethinking. It's about well, I'm all about that. Yes, I realise, <laughs> but you you are embracing that. There's a lot of there's a lot difference. There's sure. a big difference between being told to and choosing to. So some deconstruction needs to happen. And that and some, scares people. And even yep. people, even the people that we're talking to who might have searched up, like, how do you find out what to do with your life? <laughs> I do I've that. I've never Googled that. Have you, you not? Googled that? No. 
I don't want someone to tell me what to do with my life. I know, but well, how do you work it out? And you're saying you need to change the way you think and you need a thinking approach and you need to learn how to think differently. (laughs) I understand that's paralysing. I get it. That is par- it's paralyzing because. But I think that's an unknown. But so so the power of coaching in the midst of that kind of paralyzing feeling is important. Right. Having someone walk alongside you and ask you safe, yeah, steady questions to help you work out, yeah, how you're going because it's irrelevant what I think, yeah, about your life or about anyone else's life. It's completely relevant what I think. What I want to help people do is learn to be brave enough to think for themselves and to find the solution they want and they need. That's so the power of coaching is in that. What normally happens at this point is you go to a seminar about 10 ways to fix your life and I stand up the front or someone like me stands at the front, gets all passionate, gives you the 10. You get a conference high and you go, that was incredible. You got a TED Talks. I'm going to change everything. And then you come home and three days later you're back at the job you hate. Yeah. You don't know doing how to the same it. old thing. You have no, and no one's going to help you. So, to be honest, so I used this analogy the other night with a friend of mine. I was talking to him from Michigan, and we were talking about a, a certain thing, which is relevant to this. But I'm saying what happens is every time we go to an event like that, or we we read another thing, we learn another thing, we have another teaching or another workshop or another lecture, is we paint the wall with another layer of paint. The problem is the wall has 27 layers of different coloured paint underneath it. The problem is that layer of paint never really takes. It never really binds, right? Um, So actually at some point you have to be ready to strip the wall. I feel like my breakdown burnout was an involuntary stripping of my wall. I did not choose it. But I had all of those paint layers taken off. And the question then has been, what are you going to paint on that wall? Mm. Are you going to paint the thing you painted on it last time? Or are you going to paint something different? Or let someone else paint it. Or let a bunch of people speak into what maybe you could paint. Mm. Now, I... There's your vulnerability. Right. And you said that freaks people and out. Feedback. That Right. you That freaks people out, that kind of feeling. But I can't see a way to see change without that feeling, right. without a deconstruction, without a what the heck is going on, this is hard, I'm lost, I don't know what to do. Right. Without that, you can't re-engage with a new thing. You can't. And we spend a lot of time trying to avoid people going through those problems. And I've already said that earlier in the podcast. I do that. I try and stop the pain in other people's lives. But actually it's the pain. So you used to do this with our kids all the time. You say, well, they're going to make their own lunches. And the consequence of not making your own lunch in the morning is you don't have a lunch at school. Now, is there pain involved in that? Yeah, they have no lunch. But that pain will generate a change in behaviour. So if you continually rob people of pain or deconstruction or the, I feel like I don't know what to do, if you rob them of that and just say, well, here's a new thing, just fill it, fill over it, put another thing on, you'll never get to the point. What I feel like was I wasn't voluntarily stripping a wall and the burnout, like it torched the wall and it all went. And that's very vulnerable. You fall over in public, it's rapid, it's hard, I don't want to do it again. 
But guess what? The privilege of all that is I've got a blank wall again. Yeah. And now I've got to work out slowly what kind of decoration I'm going to put back on that wall. So does that make sense? Yeah. But I think that deconstruction and re-engaging – but I'm not – what I'm saying is if you're going through a deconstruction, you need people to walk with you through it. Don't do it alone, right? Right. So who do you listen to? How do you know what's – how do you know what you pick up? Well, I am – I've said this a million times, I think, on this podcast, but I keep talking about the three different types of people. So the people who – there are people who go, Katrina, everything you do is amazing. You're incredible. Just anything you choose. It's fine. You'll work it out. It'll be incredible. That's really unhelpful. Yeah. And and respectfully – Not true. Not true, (laughs) right? And it's not that you're not amazing. It's it's just not a true – No one is. It's just not a true statement. Yeah. There's a second type of people who go, just get a real job. And stop dreaming, and all this idea of you wanting to be happy. Done has ever worked. Yeah, and this idea that you want to be happy or fulfilled. Well, none of us are happy and fulfilled. (laughs) Like tough luck, right? Encouragement. Why can't we just? So again, not particularly helpful. Yeah. And but there's actually way more of those two types of people in the world, right? Than the third type. Now, the third type of people will say they'll sit with you in the midst of your deconstruction and your chaos or your vulnerability and say i don't know what you see or what you're trying to build in your life or what you want for your life i don't get it i don't see it i don't think bad or good of it but i'm with you in it Mm. and i'm willing to help you work that out i'm willing to ask you questions Mm. i'm willing to keep you accountable to what you say not what i say i'm willing to walk with you as you try and figure that out they're the people. So you, you need to find those types of people. Now, some of them are rare and few and far between, but I think the process of coaching is, is, an, is, a, is a practice or a posture of the third type of person. The other people are advice givers and tellers, right? Or they're just oblivious. Everything's amazing is oblivious to me. Advice givers and I like that controlling kind of is, and that's usually out of fear. The third type of people are the people saying, "I don't, I get it," but I embrace the, I embrace the who you are and yeah, I embrace the process. Yeah. I, I'm into it with you. I, I'm let's have a cup of coffee. I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, but I'm talk. Let me listen to you. Let me let me hear what you're actually trying to communicate. Yeah. Let me ask you a question in response to what you asked me. What you said, not what I'd come pre-prepared with. Yeah. Let me actually genuinely sit in the space where I listen and hear you and ask you a question. And maybe, just maybe, the other end of it, you might come up with something yourself. And I'll celebrate that with you when it happens. So the podcast that I've been listening to on the Enneagram, you know, we've we've chatted before about whether you're – you're a number and a personality type from the get-go or whether you're, he calls it a kid life crisis, shapes that and yeah. turns you into a certain, like you the way you respond yeah. to that shapes your personality. He says that we're born with a spirit of, that's, that's ours, like our desires and our whatevers. And the, yes, the kid life crisis happens and we yeah. respond to that, but... He's saying that it's before that. Okay. That it's in us. Yeah. So I, my view of coaching is that 
you see that person as whole and ready to do that thing yes. and you just help them, like you point out what they have available already or what they already know sure. or resource them or or say... How do you get back to that place? Yeah, how do you get back? Again, so that's a, that's a process of deconstruction. Right. Because ultimately what you're doing is you're deconstructing. So again, there's a whole other podcast on personality. Right. But I believe... That personality is something we construct around ourselves. And people say, I don't like personality profiles because they put me in a box. Right. And the answer to that is, Save well, in a box. Well, well, yeah, but personality profiling doesn't put you in a box. No. Personality profiling just tells you the box you've already put yourself in. Tell a story, yeah. So don't blame personality profiling for putting you in a box. Like the number or the acronym or the whatever that you associate with your personality is not dictating who you are it's just telling you who you've already dictated you are so coaching is saying if we look past all this taking into account that this is how you view the world at the moment this personality this is how you've chosen to kind of the parameters you've put on yourself how do we help you work out who who are you back there who are you before all that and how could you maybe live that out and be okay with it but again that's there's a load of work around vulnerability and courage before you did that pre-trauma yeah did and you're like hang on that that wasn't always me or i haven't always responded like but i didn't want to give myself permission to be okay with that answer i then went that's interesting parked this is go and do a role yeah so because i hadn't done the work on courage and vulnerability yet yeah that will take a long time to build up (laughs) right i didn't want I knew all that stuff about me. Yeah. And that was probably the rub, right? That's the rub. I knew that, but this was what I had to do. Yeah. And there's a rub and yeah. I wasn't the vulnerability stuff enables you to go, oh, it's okay to have the rub. Yeah. And to be okay that you can be honest about that. So, again, there's a lot in there. Like there's a whole series of podcasts on how we view ourselves, how we view the world. Um, there's culture too. Like some generational yeah. pressure is huge. Like you're saying you didn't really have any, but there are some – generational expectations sure. that are hard to shake or lots they of people have those pre-painted those walls lots for of, you that lots you of people have very strong family expectations so yeah. i'm not they're all things you got to navigate we've yeah. all got our own life to piece together yeah. and i'm not saying please don't hear that this is easy no and you're doing it wrong i'm saying you're not we're all making up as we go along yeah so the the podcast being when I talk to people, I want to say, how did you put your life together? Yeah. Because that's interesting because that helps me understand yeah. maybe sometimes to give me permission yeah. to put my life together in a way. Yeah. And my, the common theme of every single Flea Factory podcast is it's not simple and there's no set predetermined way to put your life together. Yeah. There's no hard and fast rule. No. That's for me. That for me is the point. <laughs> um. And, um, and how we get to destinations is fascinating for all of us. Yeah. And the amount of people who I've interviewed who said, why do you want to talk to me? And then by the end of our podcast, I've said, could we do that again? <laughs> Everyone has a story. Right. But yeah. we diminish our story. Yeah. Like it's not powerful or encouraging. Anyway. And all the steps. Like I need to write down like the three podcasts that we've just said <laughs> that we were going to do. and They never go away. We know them. I know, but I think those conversations are helpful, right? So. And the good, the bad and the ugly all get you to the point where you're at. So yeah, right. whether you can control those things or not, whether you've made the degree choices and the debt choices, whether you've said no to the jobs, whether yeah, you're okay. whether COVID is thrusted upon you, like 
we're all here yeah. where we're at and you, ha- you have to just work with the cards you've been dealt. There's no judgment in that. Yeah. And some people start this race with a whole lot stacked up against them. And I, you know. Some people work in a job 40 years and then go, hang on a minute, do I love this? What, yeah. do I, what else would I do? Yeah. And, and you know what? They've probably they've been the people who have built an amazing foundation for their family and they have provided and they have, and I don't, I'm not diminishing. That's no. not what I'm saying. No. I'm saying that's incredible. Yeah. That it like, all counts. It's it all, all part It's of all part of the story. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I'm wired how I'm wired and I can't shake it. Yeah. I, I can't, I've tried and I've tried to become something else and something different. But I, I used to make industrial magnets for welders in a factory Every day. Yeah. And I started to lose my will to live. Now, my dad used to be the manager of that factory and he loved every day at work. Yeah. I'm not, there's no judgment on the type. I'm just saying I'm not wired to do the same thing every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. Others, there's a, there's a, um, security and a consistency and a predictability to that. That is important, and I'm saying that's a like that's a person. That's the point. Yeah. Find that. Find the rhythm you need for to put your life together. And if that is doing the same thing every day with the same group of people who you deepen your relationships with, and you can say, "I have worked here for forty years, and I've worked next to the same person for thirty of those, and we are in each other's life, and we yeah. we have a commitment, and this company is provided for my family." If that's your story, live that story. Yeah. I'm just that's saying I'm just saying yeah. that's not my story. In the yeah. same way I don't want you to become an entrepreneur and coach people. I, I don't want you to be different. Yeah. I I can't. I can't. It's not that I don't want to or I think it's you know not important or it's not valid. No, I I can't. I'm I'm weird. I get it. <laughs> I'm and I'm and you have to live with me, which is even more exciting, right? And I didn't have to say it. No. I said it. I said it for you. <laughs> Do you have any other questions for me? Or is that – because we're now, what, an hour and a half into this. You said this will be quick. We'll be done before dinner. And I went, really? We might have to fast forward a bit in the middle. No, we're doing this for real, live. This is what we do. Well, no, I'm pretty sure we've told a big chunk of your story and – I don't know what. I, there's a lot of other. There's a lot of other stuff. Oh yeah, we don't have to me. tell every story. We haven't talked to all my jobs. You haven't talked about all sorts uh, of stuff. You don't care about that. You got to the real stuff. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your jobs if you. No, want let's to. not do that. We're an hour and a half in. We don't need that. I think you've mentioned some of them. Yeah, I have. They're not fascinating. So the takeaway okay. is they've all got you to hear. They all. Yeah. Had their I'm purpose. wired because of all of that. And none of them were the one that you needed to do every day. Yeah. We still haven't answered your question, what do you do? What do you do? You said you're a communicator right? and you're interested in people. You're not interested in the thing. And Things are important, but they have to be healthy. And if they're not, I'll sell them down the river. Well, but ultimately, things are only made up of people. Yeah. So I said the other day to someone... If you make vacuum cleaners, your business is not about vacuum cleaners. Your business is about building a, selling a product that helps people clean their house. 
And if you think your company is about vacuum cleaners, you're you're not thinking about this correctly. Some people get very passionate about their products. That's fine, but they should get passionate about their products because they meet a need of a person. Mm. And my fear is we have forgotten about the people in our organisations and our companies and we are about products and profit margins and we're not about people because ultimately nothing exists apart from people. That would have been harder to believe last year. Really? You think so? Well, I think for some people I think it's this whole thing, people shutting up and businesses not being there for people and what's been missed and what have people done without or created from things they have at home or yeah. so like yeah, I think I think there are a lot of things that people just take yeah. for granted that they've replaced. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's probably true. And if you are folk, like if you if you have a business where you are about um the people. Right. So you're like a You're like stop production, let's do this instead, or let's keep our clientele, or let's go to their let's reinvent Mm. how we serve them, or let's I think those people have done that. They've gone, no, it is about the people what can we give them now instead? Well, I think there's become a new appreciation of the customer, right? So now we're allowed to have a few back and a few back. And yeah. like you see cafes go, we can now have five people. Yeah. All of a sudden they realise it's not actually about the focaccia they make. It's actually about the people who come to buy it. Like and yeah. there's a newfound – maybe it's a reminder. Maybe that's Maybe that's true. Maybe – but for me, that's what I want to do. If I work with businesses or organisations or leaders, I want to continue to remind them, one, it's about you being healthy and sustainable, but two, it's about the people you lead or the people within your organisation or your structure or your business being healthy and sustainable. And ultimately, the problems you have within those organisations or businesses are people problems, not structural problems. And your structure should only be there to support the people. Yeah. Like that's the point. It helps you look after your people well. And um, if you have let process and structure, if you've let the tail wag the dog the other way around, what's that? the management term is people don't leave companies, they lead, leave leaders, they leave bosses. Okay. They don't actually tend to quit businesses, they quit because of their management. Right. And ultimately it's because we're not actually – I'm shocked we don't train leaders to actually lead people. You mean they just work their way up to that? Well, exactly what I said. I said, well, I said I was a really good doctor but ended up running the hospital. Right. Different skills, different different skill set. Like just because you're a good doctor, what happens usually in an organisation is if you're a really good doctor, you become in charge of a department, then you become in charge of a whole area, then you end up becoming the head of the hospital. That's kind of the career path. The problem is, the reason I was a good doctor doesn't mean I'm going to be a good people manager. Right. And the um, the statement that I'm, I think Patrick Lencioni talks about, it, the management guy who I do a bit of work using his stuff, he, um, he says um, he meets CEOs and he says, who's the most important person to you in your business? And he said, and CEOs always get this answer wrong. They, they always say, the customer. 
And he says, wrong. He says, as the CEO, the most important person in your business are the people who work for you. Because the, the people who work for you, the most important person to those people is your customer. And if you're not looking out for your people, nobody is. And so it's their job to look after the customer, but it's your job to look after your people. And leadership ultimately is about being focused on the people in your care. That's the job. It's a people job. It's about people. And I think just because you were really good on the factory floor doesn't mean you're really good at looking after people. It's not a given that you're going to be a good leader. So what I want to help leaders do, switch to working with leaders, is I want to help them learn the skills they need to run their teams, to run their groups, to look after their people, not just look at the end product of their product or the thing or the they produce. Does that make sense? So that's me trying to explain what I do. I do that. Yeah. So partly it's trying to save people in higher positions from the burnout by skilling them in their weaknesses and partly... Yeah, or just helping them say, I'm not good at this within their organisation, say, I will take on that role, but you need to know these are things I'm good at. So being aware and saying, giving them permission to say it's okay. Like a highlighter pen. Yeah. It's good. Is it good? Yeah. Is that enough? I think we it was can fun. Thank you. I feel like we're going to do that more often now. It's like You're a, in the swing of it. Yeah. So if you enjoyed um, the takeover, <laughs> the, the hostile takeover of the Flea Factory podcast by uh, Katrina, uh, yeah. let us know. Yeah, I'll do guest appearances. And, well, you can do your own episodes by the look of it. Oh, yeah. Look at me releasing. I I'm just releasing. press a red button. How hard is this job even? It's super easy, huh? Yeah. All right. Are we done? Yeah. You sure? Thanks for listening. You have to finish it off now. I do. You've been listening to an interview. No, there's a, there's a, (laughs) I push a button and that says that, but (laughs) do that then. Okay. See ya. Bye. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To stay up to date, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. For more information, go to www.fleafactory.com.au and you'll find us on all of your social media platforms.